Let's open up our Bibles today, shall we, over to Philippians chapter 1. Coming to grips with suffering, this is our last message on our series on suffering. We've talked about many reasons as we've journeyed through this. It's unfortunate that we have to break these up into sections, but um, there's no other way to do this to address these things than to do a series on them. I wish we could have done them all on the same day and gotten the big picture. But uh, there are many reasons for suffering. Let me just say quickly, the main reason there is suffering to begin with is because of sin. You've heard me say this during this series, but if there was no sin, there would be no suffering. There would be no suffering, there would be no death, there would be no hurting of one another, there would be no war, there would be no abuse, there would be no anger, there would be nothing bad whatsoever. But when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, there was a curse put on creation, and part of the result of sin is death, okay? Romans chapter 5 is very clear about that. And death passed upon not only all men, but on creation Itself. Now, the beauty of the gospel, of course, is that as soon as man sinned, God said, I'm going to send you a redeemer. I'm going to send you the solution. But even though we can trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and have eternal life, which, by the way, the only cure for death is life, even though we can do that, that doesn't mean that we are not susceptible to the death and the curse on our bodies and so forth that there is. That's why we get sick. That's why we die of disease and so forth. And so uh, we don't have a promise of, of life here. We have a promise of life with the Lord in heaven, which is far better. But the main reason that there is suffering to begin with is because of sin. So when people say, when uh, something tragic happens in their life, and many people say things such as, why did God do this to me? Why did God allow this to happen? Or on and on, and there's many issues that come with that. Always go back to, you know, why did God take my spouse from me? Well, he didn't take your spouse from you. Sooner or later, your spouse would be gone because of the the wages of sin is death. Death is on all creation. Our bodies are going to die unless we get raptured, which is far better. We're all for that, right? I hope I get raptured. I'd rather not die. I'd rather get raptured. Nevertheless, when you understand that perspective, that the things we suffer, they're not God's fault, okay? There are other things that cause that. We've also seen that uh, there is suffering because so that people will turn to the Lord and be saved, which is a very, very powerful, which kind of goes along. It's related to what we're going to be covering in just a few minutes. Ignorance of God's word is a major reason for suffering. People don't know how to deal with the issues of life. Therefore, they make wrong decisions and they suffer the consequences of those wrong decisions. Suffering is a result of rebellious living. That is a matter of reaping and sowing or sowing and reaping. Suffering can be the result of the chastening, the discipline of God. God allows suffering to suppress faith in ourselves. So where we don't trust in ourselves, but we look to the Lord and it teaches us to walk by faith. Another reason for suffering is to demonstrate the power of God in our lives. When we are weak, then we are strong because of the grace of God. Another reason for suffering is to manifest God's love in our lives at times of suffering. And the Lord becomes very close to us. And we, when we see sometimes through people who are his hands and feet, we see the love of God for us. That is something God is teaching us through suffering to teach us how to rest in the Lord, 
is another reason for suffering. That is not natural for man to rest in the Lord. We want to rest in our own selves and so forth. But God teaches us. He disciplines us in that regard. He allows suffering to make us comforters of others. When we go through things and and issues in life of suffering and God brings us through those, then God brings us in contact with people who are going through the same thing and we can be better tools in the hands of God to minister and to be a blessing to those people. Could be a loss of a spouse, loss of a child. It could be a terrible disease and the treatment that comes with that. It could be a lot of things. There are people that God has prepared through suffering to minister to other people. And then we saw last time to give believers a hunger for heaven. And that is a biblical thing. I know the world looks at that and they say, well, you guys are just cowards. You're using Jesus as a crutch. Yeah, amen. We're using Jesus as a crutch. What's your crutch? Drugs? Alcohol? Some sort of addiction? Okay. Everybody deals with the problems of life some way. Why not do it God's way? That's the best way because he designed us. He knows what's best. See, this is where we left off last time. And it's completely biblical to say that you can be, as some people say, to say that you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good is not a biblical concept. Okay. People who say that don't know what it means to be heavenly minded. A truly heavenly minded believer has a love for the Lord and a biblical eternal perspective on life. And that is what we need to go through life successfully, according to the principles that we find in scripture. And so it's a, to have a hunger for heaven. You know, I love being here. I love serving the Lord. I love being a pastor. I love being able to help people any way I can. But if you said, would you rather stay here or go home to be with the Lord? I'd say, well, number one, whatever God wants. But number two, yes, I'd rather be in heaven. I'd rather be in heaven. Why? Well, because that much closer to the Lord. Enjoying that. Listen, that's our future. Nothing wrong with wanting to go there and be with him. But that's in his hands. All right, and that leads us to our last reason for suffering. And by the way, as I said at the beginning of this series, this is not an exhaustive study. There could be other reasons. But nevertheless, I think we've covered a lot of the reasons for suffering. And the last one is this. Very, very important. For the furtherance of the gospel. Okay? Why is there suffering in our lives or in the world? For the furtherance of the gospel. But I'm looking at it from a personal Christian perspective. Now, if we fully grasp this, it can transform our lives. It can change us in such a profound way that it's going to be very difficult for Satan to bring us down, to get us to quit running the race, to become a castaway or disqualified as far as the race goes, okay? We often, though, do not see as God wants us to see, and therefore what happens is we miss so much of what God has for us. He sees the big picture. He always sees with an eternal perspective. We are challenged by that because everything around us is temporal, and we tend to get focused on that, and we tend to get comfortable with the idea of things that are temporal, okay? We kind of we dig in and we nest in the temporal instead of thinking and keeping our eternal perspective. Nothing keeps our eternal perspective more than seeing the world 
as God does and seeing the big picture. What is the big picture? The whole reason Jesus came was to seek and to save that which is lost. Can I say it again? The whole reason Jesus came was to seek and to save that which is lost. The main reason he came, listen, dear Christian friends, was not to make you happy. He's not a cosmic buddy. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to die and pay for our sins so that we could live forever with him in heaven. He came to be a savior for us. Now, if that's the reason he came, then it only makes sense that that's the way he wants us to see. And suffering fits in there. Let me give you several points under this today. The first is this. Suffering can often produce opportunities for the gospel if we will but recognize them when they come. Now you've got to be in a, in a mindset for this. And that's not to say when we're in, if we're not in the mindset that the Holy Spirit can't come and convict us, okay? Have you ever been in a situation where the Holy Spirit has convicted you to witness to somebody? Anybody? Okay, most of you raise your hand on that. You're in a situation and all of a sudden it's a perfect opportunity and it's, you don't hear a literal voice, but it's like the Lord saying, you get the thought in your mind, talk to them, witness to them, give them a track, open up a conversation. Why? Is that just us being under some sort of a guilt trip? No, that's the Holy Spirit of God. This is one of the ways, see, they're being drawn according to what Jesus said. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. They're being drawn and they're being convicted by the Holy Spirit. And we are the conduit to the gospel. Philippians chapter one, you know that Paul wrote Philippians from jail. It's called a prison epistle. And uh, it says in Philippians chapter one, Paul is writing from jail and he says this in verse 12, but I would, you should understand brethren, that the things which happened unto me, what things, Paul? Being arrested, being thrown in jail, being hounded, being pursued, being persecuted. The things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. See, this was a matter of perspective. Paul wrote this when he was in jail in Rome. Now, Paul could have been there and developed an Eeyore complex. You know, you know what the Eeyore complex is, is Oh my, here I am again. No one loves me. Life is hard. No one cares. God doesn't care. Praise the Lord. Isn't life great? Okay? No. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself. What he was doing was understanding, hey, there's a reason I'm here. You know what? There are people here who need to be saved that I would never have an opportunity to witness to if it wasn't for me being here. Now, how do you defeat somebody like that? See, this was a matter of perspective. We're going to get back to this, but let me also take you over to another passage. Look with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Now, this does not have to do with Paul. This is before most of the passages on Paul. Acts chapter 11. But it's talking about the early church, and it's talking about that they came under persecution. Which, by the way, early church persecution was a lot different, folks, than us having somebody reject a tract. Okay? Hey, let me give you this pamphlet. No, keep it to yourself. Nobody loves it. I'm never going to do this again. I can't take it. Uh, It's not fair. I'm really being persecuted for Jesus. That's nothing compared to what's not only took place first century, 
but is even taking place today, and by the way, has taken place ever since. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad, okay? Why? Because of persecution. They which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phineas and Cyprus and Antioch. These are many miles away from Jerusalem, folks. What were they doing? Boo-hooing and feeling sorry for themselves? No. Preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus, the Grecians. All of them had black hair. Some of you got that. Spake spake unto the Grecians. And what were they doing? They weren't saying, please feel sorry for me. We're being persecuted. We had to leave our homes in Jerusalem. Boy, we had a beautiful home in Jerusalem. And here, no, no. The persecution came, but what the persecution, see, that was divine persecution, by the way. God brought the persecution because they weren't going the way they were supposed to be going. So God says, okay, I'm going to put a little heat under you, give you a little bit of a hot seat to give you a little extra motivation to get going, to going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. And so the persecution came and they went out and it worked and they went out and they preached the Lord Jesus Christ. They preached the gospel, okay? So suffering comes into our lives for the furtherance of the gospel. They did not let the persecution stop them. They didn't get discouraged by the trouble, but used it as a catapult for the gospel. And what happened as a result? Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Don't you love that? I love that. Another point under here is this. Many Christians are too immersed in the trial to see the opportunities in the midst of the trials. Now, this is where the challenge comes in. We have a trial that comes into our life. We have a difficulty that comes into our life. Here's one as an example. Let's say, for an example, you get in a car accident. And there you are at the site, and you've been in this car accident, and you may be thinking, great, my rates may go up. This is going to be the worst inconvenience. This is a problem. I love that car. You know, this thing and that thing. And here are these other people over there who are waiting for the policeman to come. Does it occur to us that that is a divine appointment? God has allowed that problem to come into our lives so that they are going to be witness to about the gospel by us because we're the ones who have the truth. God wants us to use that opportunity for the gospel. There's a uh, lady, and I won't say her name, but she's a faithful believer who lives in Arizona. Faithful, powerful witness for Christ. And uh, she has her own blog, and I mean, she is reaching lots of people. And she's kind of, in a sense, partnered with us as far as our literature. And her adult son was in a terrible accident, a terrible accident. They thought he was going to die. And he was months in the hospital, Okay. Now, she could have really, and she was there, her whole life changed. She could have really let that eat on her and become bitter. You see, you always have a choice. Are you going to become bitter or better? She could have become bitter, but you know what she did? It turned into an evangelistic campaign by this woman. And she was ordering from us not just heaven tracks. She was ordering our booklets, $2 each. And that was our price 
She was ordering our booklets on how to be sure you're going to heaven, and she was using them like tracks. All these people coming, looking for opportunities, looking, looking. They need the gospel. They need Christ, okay? She allowed the suffering and the difficulty that come into her life as a catapult for the gospel. And many, many people heard the gospel who would have not heard the gospel had she not gotten into that situation with her son. It's amazing. I have heard from people that have been impacted by this woman's life. It's amazing. really is amazing. But see, it's a matter of perspective. Most of us tend to focus on the trial and not on the realization that there is a reason for it. Remember, folks, God is in control. God is in control. There is not one trial that the Lord allows to come our way that he is not either allowed or sent. He knows about all of them. He knows how it affects us, and he wants us to get the big picture. I know it's a challenge, but he wants us to have the big picture of using that opportunity for the sake of the gospel. Now, Paul understood this. Going back to Philippians, go there with me. Back to Philippians chapter 1. Paul understood this, and Philippians was written from jail, and yet the theme of Philippians is rejoice. The joy of the Lord. The theme of Philippians is rejoicing as a believer. And yet here he is in jail. Twelve times the word rejoice is found in ten verses. Four chapters, four little chapters. Twelve times the word rejoice is used. Just so happens that the word gospel is used nine times in Philippians. Eight verses. Okay, Two major themes that we see in Philippians. Rejoicing and the gospel. Coincidence? No. It's by design. By design by God. So again, verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out unto the furtherance of the gospel. Look at verse 21. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, remember he's writing from jail, So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now think about this. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's talking about Christ. He's being persecuted because of the gospel. He won't shut up. So they throw him in jail and he still won't shut up. And they say, if you don't shut up, we're going to kill you. And he says, really? That's gain for me. By the way, how many of you understand that Paul's still speaking? Isn't it amazing how much we refer to the writings and the epistles that Paul wrote to the letters? It's amazing. See, he's gone off the scene physically, but he's not gone off the scene. God used him. He allowed himself to be used by God in a profound way. And through his writings, many times, that is the way God is steering the church. Jump over to chapter 4 of Philippians. Here he is at the end of the letter. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Now I know there's no question mark there, but I put it there. Wait a minute, Caesar's household? Wait a second. Now your wheels are turning in the right way. What is it saying? While he was there, 
people are being witnessed to, and the gospel is going up the ranks in Rome. People are being reached through the life of the Apostle Paul. And by the way, the others mentioned in Philippians chapter 1, who gained boldness by his boldness. Do you see how this affects not only us, but other people? When we have the right perspective, it has a profound impact on my life, and it has a profound impact on others' lives. And we are talking about in the context of suffering. Not just life, suffering. Now what a perspective. How do you stop somebody like that? You don't. You can't. Well, I'll take their life. Oh, you make them a martyr. (laughs) All that's going to do is make more Christians. Did it just happen? No, no. Which leads us to our third point. Paul had trained himself through the scriptures to see the circumstances that came his way through the grid of the gospel. Folks, this is an issue of training ourselves to see it. It's an issue of prayer. I believe prayer comes in here in a big way. Because if we are not used to doing this, instead of when negative things happen, when suffering comes, instead of seeing it as a problem of life, oh great, I didn't want this, this disturbs my comfort level of life. Instead of seeing it that way, seeing it instead with, you know what? Lord, thank you for this because I know you're going to use me to witness for you. People are going to hear the gospel who would never hear it otherwise. He trained himself to see the circumstances that came his way through the grid of the gospel. He saw them as opportunities for the gospel and he took them. Now as a preacher, I have the privilege sometimes of just sharing with you scriptures that I love. So I'm going to do that today. So let's go over to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Now Paul, you might say, well wait, this isn't that the Philippian jailer? Yes, but remember, Paul is in Philippi in jail in Acts chapter 16. So here they are, they get thrown in jail. Paul and Silas are there. They're thrown in jail. They're chained up. And I don't know what the accommodations were like, but I guarantee it wasn't like a Holiday Inn Express or Comfort Inn or even a Microtel. Have you ever stayed at a Microtel? We've stayed at a Microtel. As long as you don't plan on doing exercise and stuff in your hotel room, it works out really well. Uh, Pastor Rehoff actually uh, made us aware of that. A lot lower price and everything is just there. If you want to go there and spend the night, you'll save money. Okay? Nice accommodations. Anyways, how did I get off on that? Oh, yeah. Paul and Silas were checked in to jail. So here they are. And they could have been whining, they could have been complaining, they could have been going, woe is us, this is not worth it. As soon as I get out of jail, if I get out of jail, I am getting out of the ministry, I'm going to go work at McDonald's or someplace. No, Acts 16, 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. You're wondering what they're praying about? Now, I don't know for sure what they're praying about. Possibly, though, they may have been praying for the Philippian jailer. Possibly. And the prisoners heard them. Maybe everybody who's in jail. So can you imagine it? There they were. They're in jail. There's all these people chained up. And it's midnight. And they're there. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Will you shut up? Oh, what a foretaste of glory. I don't know if, well, blessed assurance wasn't written at that point. 
Can you imagine? What boldness. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands, chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled because under Roman law, if they let a prisoner free, if he escapes, it was death for them. So he is ready to die. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we're all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Now they could have been whining. They could have been complaining. They could have been depressed. They could have been discouraged. But what are they doing? They're singing and they're praising and they're praying. And they got their minds on one thing because that's what got them in there. And it's reaching people for Christ And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? How's that for an open question? What an opportunity. By the way, folks, if you get an opportunity like this, don't say, well, let me pray about it, whether it's God's will for me to share the gospel with this person or not. Okay, that's phony spirituality. It is the will of God. Don't pray for something. You know, God says, go in all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. I think that kind of takes care of that. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. By the way, look at the terms of the gospel here. You see, Paul and Silas could have told the jailer whatever they wanted to say. They could have said, well, become a Christ follower. That's the big one today. Give your heart to Christ. Let him be on the throne of your life. Commit your life to him. Promise you're going to serve him. Turn from all your sins, jailer. Get baptized. Keep the commandments. Be good. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Give him your life. Give him your heart. They could have told him anything. But what they told him was the truth. How are you saved? Simple faith in Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They told him the truth of the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Listen, when anybody says... There is more to being saved than putting your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have every right to lovingly say to them, that is not true according to the Scriptures. That is a false message according to the Scriptures. I've heard people say, well, I've actually heard people say this. Well, this, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what they told them was true, but it wasn't all the truth. What? It wasn't all the truth. Then what you're saying is they didn't know what they were doing. Or they were deceiving him. Are you kidding me? Not only that, but if you're going to say that, you're going to have to say the same thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he said in John 6, 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me has everlasting life. Hath, possesses right now, everlasting life. Are you going to say that he wasn't telling the truth? That he was making a mistake? Friends, salvation has to be all by the grace of God. It's not by our works. It's not by commitments. It's not us giving God anything. It's us receiving what God wants to give us, which is eternal life. So when the circumstances come, are we training ourselves through the scriptures to see the circumstances, the suffering, the difficulties that come through the grid of the gospel, to see it as, you know, I don't necessarily like this situation or I'm hurting or I'm in pain, but there's somebody here who needs to hear the gospel. There's somebody who's going to get saved through this. Boy, what a difference in mindset 
that produces in us. What a positive mindset. Could be an accident. Could be going into the hospital for something. Could be a terrible sickness. God, why do you allow this to happen? I can tell you one reason God has allowed it to happen. There are people who need to hear the gospel. That's why, can I, can I say this today? If any of us, I include myself, of course, if any of us end up in the hospital, I mean, sometime in your life you probably will, be sure when you go to the hospital. Now, if it's an emergency and they rush you there, you don't have time to do this, but get a hold of your family and ask them, hey, would you bring me a stack of heaven tracks and put it on that little thing that's on the wheels that they put, you know, and they put the food on, the little cart, and have those tracks there. And when those people come in the room, hey, let me tell you how you can have eternal life. Let me show you how you can be sure of going to heaven. Just pass those things out. Just pass them out. Isn't that a lot better than just sitting there and watching TV? Just pass them out. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die? Well, no, I don't know that. Can I tell you how you can know? If they say no, okay, have a great day. If they say yes, in essence, they're saying, what must I do to be saved? Well, you're going to tell them. See, when we see as God does and focus on the eternal, it keeps our attitude right. We can then accomplish the work that God has for us. By the way, no one illustrates that better than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When he said in John 12, 32, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto me. When he was on the cross is when he was lifted up. And what was he doing as he suffered the wrath of God being poured out on him when he was on the cross? What was he doing? He was drawing all men unto himself. What was he doing? He was fulfilling the terms of the gospel. Aren't you glad he kept his perspective? Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus didn't say, poor me, poor me, I'm suffering. And you know, I didn't do anything wrong. No, he knew he didn't do anything wrong, but he gave up his life willingly so that people could be saved. You're in Acts 16. Look with me over to chapter 20. Paul talking to the uh, Ephesian elders, he brought them down or they came down to visit him. This is the last time they were going to be together. He shares some the scriptures with them. And then he says in Acts chapter 20, right after it says the Holy Spirit witnesses in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me or they're going to come. (laughs) The Holy Spirit was telling them, listen, as you go on, buddy, Paul, as you go on, there's more affliction and persecution coming into your life. He says, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and a ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He's thinking everything that happens to me, there are people who need to hear about Christ. And you know what? When the day comes for God to take me, he's going to take me. And we have that talked about in 2 Timothy. Last letter he wrote, 2 Timothy 4, he says, the time of my departure is at hand. Church history says that his head was cut off. I say, oh, that's awful. Well, I'm sure it was pretty instantaneous. And what happened? You know what, folks? When he died, he stepped through the door from time into eternity, just like that, into the presence of God. Just like that. Yeah, but there was pain. Oh, it was very short-lived. But that's not the point. He used his life for Christ. So in review, the main reason there is suffering in the world is because of the curse of sin. This brought every problem we have ever experienced into existence. 
But the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save all mankind. This is the passion of God sending Christ into the world. And the Lord wants us to see the issues we face in our lives as helping us fulfill the Great Commission more effectively. It's what it's all about. Let's close today with a very appropriate verse. I want you to turn with me over to John chapter 3. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is that talking about? Folks, look up here. Here we are. Here's sin. We're all sinners. Adam and Eve sinned. Sin entered the world. We inherited sin, the sin nature by Adam. We are all sinners by choice and also by birth. God loves us though. He hates our sin, but he loves us. Doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you. God loves you. He wants you to live with him forever in heaven. That's why I sent Jesus. God says our sin has to be paid for. He's a God of justice. The wages of sin being death. We pay for our sin. We'll be forever separated from God. God doesn't want that for any person. That is why he sent Jesus into the world. See, most people think good works will take away the sin. No, listen, nowhere in the Bible does it say good works take away sin. See, you have to be perfect to get to heaven, sinless. None of us are, therefore we're disqualified. So you could do a whole lifetime of good works that doesn't take away the sin. The sin's got to be gone. How are we going to get that to happen? God took on flesh, this hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He made the payment as our substitute. He died in our place was buried, came back from the dead, and he says this, if you will believe, put your faith in him that he made that payment for your sin. He paid for your sin. If you'll believe, he'll give you as a gift everlasting life. Look at it. You know, sometimes you'll quote those scriptures and people will say, well, that's your interpretation. Don't let them off the hook. Here's what you say. Okay, how do you interpret that? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. There it is. Jesus came. Jesus died in our place. He rose from the grave. Proof that the payment for all sin of all mankind of all time was paid for. And when you believe in him, you put your faith in him, you won't end up in hell. You have everlasting life instead. Everlasting. That means once you have it, you have it forever. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you today trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. God loves you. He wants you to be His. He wants you to be in His family. He wants you to have everlasting life. If you don't trust in Christ, you're under the condemnation of God. And if you die in that condition, you will be lost forever with no second chance. None. I don't think it's right that God sends people to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. He came to save all mankind. That's what we're talking about here. And I've just shared with you how you can be sure of never spending one second there. You can be sure of going to heaven. Would you trust Christ today as your Savior? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com Your prayers and support for this ministry 
are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.